Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 7 through 31. This is our Brave Heart teaching series, Courage in a World of Compromise. And uh, this weekend we're talking about heart forgetfulness. How many remember when we started this series just a few weeks ago and we asked the question, what's the most frequent command? Anybody remember what that is? What's the most frequent command in the Bible? Fear not. not. And what's the most frequent promise in the Bible? I am with you. We learned that as they were embarking on their journey into the promised land, we see the commissioning there in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And God over and over again says, fear not, fear not. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because I am with you. Now take a look at your sermon notes here, the intro. If God has promised to be with us, then we can face anything in life with strength and courage unless, of course, we are struggling with heart forgetfulness, spiritual amnesia. And and we're going to find out in our text today that's what they're struggling with. Spiritual amnesia happens when truths about God are, are maybe clear to the mind but not captivating to the heart. They're not, they're not real to the heart. As you guys well know, the Bible says, Romans 8, you hear this a lot here, that God is for us and not against us. And you can know that, and that can be very clear to the, to the mind, but unless it's real to the heart, it's not going to have any kind of an impact on, on your life. And so, spiritual amnesia happens when truths about God are clear to the mind, but not captivating to the heart. They're not real to the heart. And so God's people are in this self-destructive cycle of decline and renewal. And Judges chapter 21 verse 25 kind of defines the whole book. There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so we see this, this cycle of, it goes into complacency. They forget about God, spiritual amnesia. It turns into compromise. And then before long they're experiencing crisis And then they're crying out to God, God sends a judge, and then there's covenant renewal. And so this morning, we're taking a look at specific case histories, and we meet the first three judges, Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. I mean, this is our blockbuster summer series, action-packed stories. So hang on, because this morning, we're going to head into some pretty interesting stories. And so let's begin with a word of prayer, first of all, before we take a look at this text and unpack these notes. Let's pray. Father God, it is simply amazing that you have lavished us with love by calling us your children and have empowered us with the presence of your Holy Spirit made possible through the indispensable and costly death of your Son, our Savior Jesus, on the cross. The benefits of your grace in our lives are incalculable for both this life and the life to come, yet yet too often many of us live with a kind of spiritual amnesia. We, We forget who you are and what you've done for us and are therefore easily incapacitated by the, by the questions and the doubts and the fears of life. We pray through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit that, that the truth that you are for us and not against us, that that truth would not only be clear to our minds but real to our hearts, transforming our lives for our joy and your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... 
Amen. Take a look at this text. Now, we first of all, the first judge we come to is Othniel, Judges chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of God. What was that that they did evil? Well, it's the second part of that verse, verse 7. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. So, so spiritual amnesia is beginning to take place within their lives. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he sold them into the hand of Kushan Rishathaim. Now, I stumbled over this guy's name a number of times in the first service, and I think people thought I was speaking in tongues. <laughs> and so I might need some help with that, because I have to say this guy's name about four times here. So Kushan Rishathaim. Okay, I think I've got it. Do you have it so you can help me if I for some reason forget it? And so he was, they sold and he sold, God sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, and the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. So you can see this pattern once again, complacency, compromise, crisis, crying out to God, and God sends a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Othniel. Remember, Othniel's from chapter 1. He's a very godly man, fully devoted to God. So God uses Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. And he went out to war, and the Lord gave, oh, there it is again, Cushan Rishathaim. I did it. King of Mesopotamia, you know, it's kind of a little bit like Lord of the Rings. When I first watched Lord of the Rings, it took me like about five times through it before I even realized, who in the world are they talking about here? Anybody like that? As you're going through, there's all these different names, and it's, it's so weird. A little bit like this in the Old Testament. So the Lord gave Kushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over, last time I'll have to say it, Kushan Rishathaim. Say that fast four times, as I just did. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And then it goes back through that cycle again. So let's talk about this idea of heart forgetfulness. Here's the first thought on your notes. Remembering the Lord is a prominent theme in the Bible. And what they do is that they, the evil that they do is that they forgot the Lord their God. Now, I gave you just a few places in the Bible, Numbers 15, 39 through 40. It tells us that God told them to put tassels on their clothing, the Israelites, tassels on their clothing so that they would remember God's commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 15, chapter 16, verse 12, chapter 24, verses 18 and 22. So you see this relentless over and over again. Israel is heading into the promised land and God warns them over and over again not to forget what God has done for them and how far they have come. Don't forget. Don't forget the Lord. Don't forget the Lord. Why? Because we are prone to forget God. Exodus 12, 14 is the Passover feast, and the Passover feast is a memorial day of their exodus from Egypt. Joshua chapter 4, verse 7, they were to pile up these stones beside the river of uh, the Jordan River to remind them of what God had done for them as they're heading in to the promised land. As we head into the New Testament, it says in Luke 22, 19, 1 Corinthians 11, 24 through 25, do this in remembrance of me. What are we to do in remembrance of him? Anybody? Take communion. So we see this theme throughout, throughout the Bible. This is just a few places where you see it. 
Now, how many remember what this weekend is all about? What is this weekend? Yeah, Memorial. Memorial weekend. Memorial Day is tomorrow. What are we to remember? Those who have fallen, our soldiers who have fallen, who have given and paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And so what I want to do at this point is in honor of our, our fallen soldiers, those who have paid that ultimate price, I'd like to have our, our veterans uh, stand, if you would stand, and along with if you've got family members, if there are family members here that have lost loved ones in the war and paid that, that ultimate price, why don't you stand, all the different, uh... yes, let's give them a hand, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. I know, I know that there's a guy, thank you very much. I know there's a guy sitting right out in the foyer that he actually saw some buddies get killed at war. And so I know that there, that's, that's, that means a lot. It's really important. It's important that we remember those who have paid that ultimate price. And it's a reminder of our Savior. They ultimately point to our Savior who gave his life for us. And so remembering the Lord is a prominent theme in the Bible. And the next point on your notes, who you are can be no better and no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. Uh, key to that thoughts and entertain kind of go together. So what dominates your solitude? Where, do your mind, where does your mind go to in your free time, in your spare time? Who you are can be no better or no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, this is pretty interesting, he says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So he's saying, that, that's really important. The thoughts that you entertain in your head, what dominates your solitude. Proverbs 23.7, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, as a person thinks within himself, then so is he. So it's, it's how they're going to respond to life. And you've heard me say this many times before. It's not the events of life that determine how we, how we feel and respond to those events. It's our evaluation of those events that determine how we, how we feel and how we're going to respond. So it's really this, this mindset, our thoughts. Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. The flesh would be kind of the world that we live in, a very self-absorbed, self-centered. The flesh represents the sinful nature. And so those who, set, so who, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, those who live according to the spirit. So it makes this contrast between flesh and spirit. Uh, and those who live according to the spirit, that is, your God-consumed you're God-absorbed. It's not about you and your glory. It's about his glory. You're living for his glory. So that's the distinction here. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And then it makes this interesting contrast. It doesn't give us a third option. It's either going to be the flesh or the Spirit. Even right now, you're either thinking along the lines of the flesh or along the lines of the Spirit. And it says the mind of the flesh brings what? Anybody? Brings death. Ultimately, it's going to lead to death. But the mind of the Spirit brings what? Anybody? Life and peace. Life and peace. So it makes this distinction between this. So who you are can be no better and no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. And what's fascinating about all of this is that, that we speak with our mouths about 150 to 200 words per minute. How many are thinking right now that Pastor Ray probably speaks about 500 words a minute some Sundays? <laughs> 
Okay, yeah. There's, some Sundays I speak way too many, and I've actually been told, like, wow, that, that sermon was like, uh, like about a five-hour sermon in 30 minutes, okay, or 45 minutes. And so my wife has to say, hey, slow down, man. Relax. You didn't have that much espresso this morning. And so, so typically, we speak with our mouths about 150 to 200 words per minute. We all talk to ourselves whether we know it or not. You're talking to yourself right now. So if we speak 100 to 150 words, how many words per minute are going through your mind right now? Thousands, yeah, about, probably about 1,300, 13 to 1,500 right now, that fast. That's why from time to time I'll go, come on, come on, back, 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 back up here. I'll try to get your attention because I know that your, your mind's just running after all kinds of stuff. And so I try to, try to bring you back, come on, because I know that I'm competing with like 1,300 words, so that's why I speak about 500 <laughs> So I'm trying to get up to that 1,300 words that are going through your mind, just like rapid fire. And so we carry on an inner dialogue with ourselves at this astounding rate of about 1,300 words per minute. Depends on how much Red Bull or espresso we've had that morning. Some mornings, it's just kind of like maybe one or two words a minute because I'm so wiped out. I didn't get enough sleep last night. But then after a while, it starts picking up pace. But all day long, you are having thoughts, observations, perceptions, ideas flowing through your mind. And what's interesting about these, these observations, these thoughts, as I said, it's not the events of life, it's how you're evaluating those events, and we all evaluate those events in a certain way. Everyone has certain habits and patterns of thought. It's, it's a mindset. For instance, you walked in here this morning, and someone looked at you, and they said, wow, you look terrific. So an optimist mindset would maybe respond by, by saying something like this to themselves. What a friendly guy. A, pes- a narcissist would respond to that, to, to that statement. Wow, you look terrific. Narcissists would probably be thinking something along these lines. I was thinking the same thing. Tell me more. You fascinate me. <laughs> a pessimist would respond to, wow, you look terrific by like, something like this. Wow, the lighting in here must be really bad. And then a cynic would say something along these lines, this person must be trying to sell me something. So, so there's this mindset. There's a way of, of evaluating the events of life. Next point in your notes, the problem behind all of my problems is that I forget the gospel, spiritual amnesia. That's what we see happening with the, the people of Israel. We, we fall prey to this too. Did you notice in verse 11 it says, and so the land had rest. To the degree that you remember the gospels, to the degree that you're going to be at rest. If your life is really restless right now, it's because you're forgetting the gospel. To the degree that you're living in, in light, in reality of the gospel. You might know the gospel, it might be clear to the mind, but it's not real to the heart because it's evident through your life because there's restlessness. <gasps> But you're going to find rest to the degree that you are living in the reality of the gospel. Let me give you some examples of that. Isaiah 51, 12 through 13. God's speaking through Isaiah and he's telling the people that they fear, that they're afraid because they're not remembering the Lord, their maker. Luke 8, 25. Remember, this is a crazy scene where Jesus is asleep in the boat and there's this crazy storm that, that just almost is overtaking the boat. And these guys are pretty tough. Some of them are fishermen, and they're pretty tough guys, but they're freaking out. And they go and wake up Jesus. What's the first thing that Jesus says to them when, when he's awakened from sleep? He says, Why, where's your faith? Where's your faith? What was he saying? 
He's saying, so think about faith. Faith, the foundation of faith is thinking. And he's saying, hey, wait a minute. You're not thinking out the implications of your faith. You're not thinking out the fact that I'm, I'm here. You're not thinking out the implications. I told you we're going to go across to the other side. You're not thinking out the implications that God is for you and not against you. You're not thinking about that. You've lost track of that. You have spiritual amnesia taking place in your life. Isn't that interesting? So that's uh, Luke 8.25. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, uh, Peter goes through this whole list of characteristics that we should be developing in our lives little by little. And uh, as we become more Christ-like and more godly. And then he kind of fins, uh, finishes this list by saying, if you're not growing, if you're not growing in any of these, you have forgotten that your past sins have been cleansed. And you think, What? What's he getting at there? My past sins have been cleansed. You've forgotten about that. And what is he saying? He's saying you forgot, the go- you forgot about the gospel. You've forgotten the gospel. Because you see, what, he, what he's getting at here, and this is the wonderful truth about the gospel, is that, is that the, verdict, the verdict comes before the performance. The verdict comes before the performance. Huh? What are you talking about? The verdict comes before the, the verdict that he looks at you and he says, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Not based on your performance, but based on Jesus' performance and you put your faith in Jesus. And so he looks at you and he says, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. You're a child of God. He loves you. He adores you. He's brought you into his family. He's forgiven you of all of your sins. And that truth is amazing. And that's the verdict. That's what's true about you. And so to the degree you begin to live in the reality of that is to the degree it begins to transform your life. There's where the performance comes out. It's not the performance first. You better shape up, mister. And then just maybe I'll let you in. And maybe I'll call you my child. That's not how, the Christ, how Christianity works. That's what's so amazing about Christianity. So the verdict comes before the performance, and that's what he's getting at. You're going to have these characteristics developed in your life to the degree that you remember he's forgiven all your sins. He's brought you into the family. You're his child. (laughs) That is so cool. That is amazing. I love that. The verdict comes before the performance. So if your performance isn't doing so well, go back to the verdict. Do you understand? Are you living in the reality of the fact that he adores you? He loves you. He sent his son down to die for you, to give his life for you. That's amazing. But we forget that. And so there are important truths in our lives that can lose their grip on us. For instance, if you're saying, yes, I know the Lord loves me, and yet you are filled with anxiety, bitterness, and depression, That truth is an intellectual idea, but, but you don't know it in your innermost being, within your soul. It's not at the center of your consciousness. It's not vivid. It's not immediate. It's not alive. It's not real. It's not true to you. Maybe clear to the mind. It's not real to the heart. That truth that he loves you, you're a child of God, it's on AM radio, not HDTV. And, and you need to have his love on HDTV and everything else on AM radio. You guys remember AM radio? Anybody here listen to AM radio? What? Get up with the times. But that's, that's the truth. See, when I'm, when I'm unloving, when I find myself unloving, I have forgotten how much God loves me. When I'm joyless, I have forgotten about the pleasures and the eternal privileges I have in Christ. When I have no peace, I have forgotten about God's loving, wise control 
of my life, when I'm experiencing bitterness, I have forgotten God's forgiveness and grace to me. When I'm overtaken by temptation, I have, I have forgotten about the power of God's promise. Oh, it's the power of God's promise that always breaks the power of sin's promise. Sin offers a promise. The reason why we, we take the bait is because we actually think we're going to be happier. But the power of sin's promise is always broken by the power of God's promise and promises in our life. And so we, we forget about that and then we, we're overtaken by temptation. We don't pray with a great deal of discipline because we have forgotten who we're talking to that we're talking to the creator of the universe. We're not disciplined in our Bible study because we have forgotten who's talking to us. This is the breath of God. He speaks to us and we can know him and encounter him. We are not disciplined in our church attendance because we have forgotten the power of corporate worship. And so the problem behind all of my problems is that I forget the gospel. It's spiritual amnesia. Next point on your notes, remembering the Lord is to have truths. Remembering the Lord is to have truths about who God is and what he has done so central to your awareness that it controls your thoughts, feelings, and actions. So, so these truths about who God is and what he's done for you so central to your awareness that it controls your thoughts, feelings, and actions. That's why in Joshua 1, 8, and 9, he says the way that we do that is that we don't turn to the right, to the left. Keep your eyes on God's word. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So, so murmur it, meditate on it, reflect on it so that you can... Be careful to do everything that is written in it. You'll be prosperous and successful is what he says before they were heading into the promised land. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 makes that very clear too. That if you meditate on his word, you're showing that it's truly the delight, delight of your life. How many are familiar with Psalm 103? That's a phenomenal psalm. Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his what? His benefits. Now, what's crazy about it when you're reading through the Psalms, there's different Psalms. There's some Psalms that are, are very horizontal. They're talking to, to one another saying, come on, let's bless the Lord. Let's go in and worship God. And then some of them are more vertical. They're talking directly to God. And then there's Psalms that they're, they're about talking to yourself. And that's what that Psalm is about. Psalm 103 is this guy's talking to himself. He's, he's talking and he's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Come on, soul. Come on, soul. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, soul. And forget not all of his benefits. Do you hear what he's doing? He's understanding his, that inner dialogue and he's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. My, my inner dialogue isn't very good right now and I need to work on it. Come on, soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not his, his benefits. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 also kind of helps us with that too. It just talks about how can a, a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I uh, heard a story a number of years ago of a guy who, was, who traveled a lot and because uh, of his work, he, anytime that he would fly into a particular city, his friend would pick him up from the airport, but his friend that would pick him up from the airport never wore a seatbelt, and so he would lecture him to no avail. 
And one time when his friend picked him up from the airport, he was noticing that his friend started wearing a seatbelt. He's like, I've been trying to tell you to wear your seatbelt. What made you start wearing your seatbelt? And the guy, his friend began to tell him a story about another friend, a close friend that had been in a serious accident not wearing a seatbelt and was nearly killed by putting his face through the windshield, received over 100 stitches in his face. And so wearing a seatbelt was clear to his mind, but wasn't real to his heart. And finally it was real to his heart. And he was like, so as he was dialoguing with him, he's just saying, wow, so now it's real. Yeah, it's real. And so remembering the Lord is to have truths about who God is and what he has done so central to your awareness that it controls your thoughts, feelings, in actions. Now we dive into the story. It gets really action-packed here, so you're going to want to really listen because we come now to the second, the second judge, Ehud, and the people of Israel. This is verse 12. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the first, uh, the first group, we see that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They, they, they have spiritual amnesia. We also know that doing evil in the sight of the Lord also means in Romans 1.25, it's exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiping and serving created things more than the creator. That's also part of this process. We learned last week that uh, doing evil is also Jeremiah 2.13. We tend to have spiritual amnesia, and we do this suicidal exchange of the fountain of living water, God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We exchange him for broken cisterns that have no water, and so this is what's going on. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So, so God's bringing discipline to his people through this king of Moab by the name of Eglon. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the the Malachites and went and defeated Israel and they took possession of the city of Palms. By the way, this is otherwise known as Jericho. It's a very strategic choke point into Canaan. So remember when the nation of Israel entered into Canaan, the promised land, this is the first, the, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. This is where they they took over this city, very important strategic military point. So this guy's taken over this point. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, now check this out, a left-handed man. Literally, in the Hebrew, this verse 15, it tells us, that he was unable to use his right hand. He was physically handicapped because he was either paralyzed or, or disabled. Now, I want you to hear the irony of the story as we work through it. The irony here is that he's from the tribe of Benjamin, or he's a Benjaminite, which means son of the right hand. And he's crippled in his right hand and in a society even more cruel than our own toward handicapped people. He was an unlikely leader to deliver Israel, but he was chosen by God. The people of Israel sent tribute, gold, produce, and livestock to Eglon, the king of Moab. So, so this guy was kind of like a mob boss. He said, we're not going to come in and rape and pillage and kill your people if you will pay us off. And so they're sending this tribute by way of Ehud and a number of others to this mob boss type, uh, type king. Now the story really gets interesting here. So the people of Israel sent tribute, 
by him, Ehud, to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubic in inch. That's about 18 inches, 18 inch sword. And he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. So right thigh under his clothes, he's got a sword hidden. Now typically, in these days, most would carry their sword on their left side, but it was exposed, it was outside of their clothes, so they'd grab it with their right hand and pull their sword out. But he's got a sword hidden on his right thigh. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. Interesting. Now, what's interesting about this guy's name is that his name means an animal fattened for slaughter. This is going to get good. <laughs> and when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. So there's a lot of tribute. So he had a number of people that was helping him carry the tribute in there. So he sent them away. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. <laughs> that's not in the text. That's just, uh, that's my, me laughing about where we're headed. And he commanded silence. This is the king. And all his attendants went out from his presence. So Eglon, this, this king, does not expect a handicapped man to be in any way dangerous and to present a security risk. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat, so the king's kind of like, oh, really? He's kind of interested here. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not... Oh, he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. What'd you have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> Sorry. Then Ehud went out into the porch, closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him, and locked them. So he was in there by, with the king by himself, so now he's, he's got it locked up. And when he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. They're thinking to themselves, what's that smell? We don't, want to bother, we don't want to bother the king while he's doing his business on the throne. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. I had to think about that just for a minute. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Now, why all this gross detail? Oh, my goodness sakes. Why this gross detail? Because, and I read a number of commentators, and this is what they said, because it happened. And then the second reason is because the Hebrew writer is mocking and making fun of God's enemies to show that they are no match for God's power and purposes. You think you can thwart God's purposes? I'll send you a crippled guy and he's gonna take the king out just with one stab. He's, God's saying, hey, listen, I'm in control of all of this. And I can 
call the shots, pull the shots. I can do any number of things in this. And that's, that's really part of it is just to say, are you kidding? It's laughable. And it's almost meant to be a bit of humor in all this. It's a little bit gross, obviously, a little sick, but it's like God's, God's in control. The God's enemies are no match for God's power and purposes. Ehud, now check this out, Ehud escaped while they delayed and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Surah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country. I mean, this is the least likely. They're not gonna follow him up until they find out. He killed the king. This tormentor, this moss, this... Uh, Mob boss dude that's just uh, hassling us. He went in there and killed the king. So he comes back and uh, he was their leader and he said to them, follow after me for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. I mean, this is like the scene in Braveheart where William Wallace is riding his horse in front of all the Scottish and they're about ready to take on the English. And he goes to this big speech and then he says, they can take our lives, but they can't take our freedom and so it's kind of one of those locker room talks it's like come on you guys we have forgotten who God is how dare this guy defy the armies of God I took him out so let's rally so they have this moment you know where they realize wait a minute wait a minute God is for us and not against us you know those moments that we need to have regularly Kind of that locker room talk we have with ourselves. Almost like that Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all those within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not his benefits. Come on. Come on. You're a child of the living God. How dare you cower to, to anxiety and fear and depression. You have lost track of who it is that, that loves you and cares for you. And that was one of those moments in their life. They're just, they're like, wow. I mean, this spiritual amnesia is being washed away. It's being dispelled. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. This is brilliant military strategy. It's, it's the crossing point at the Jordan River to get out of Canaan, the promised land, when their enemies will be the most vulnerable and they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites. All strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. Okay, so if you're going to overcome spiritual amnesia, here's what you've got to do. Here's the next point on your notes. You must be willing to face your greatest hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Verse 20, Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. I mean, and as I stated, Ehud must have had one of those, those holy God-inspired moments of remembering, why is this God, Eglon, king of Moab, allowed to bully God's people and to fight the armies of God? In fact, he even says in verse 28 of our text, Ehud acknowledges that God was working through him to deliver Israel, and then he rallies the people and says, wait a minute, God's on our side. We're taking a beating here. This is inconsistent with people who know the living God. And, and so you must be willing to face your greatest hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Negative patterns of thought are burned into our minds either through repetition over time or through traumatic experiences. Horrible things said, said to me or done, done to us uh, or we've said, you know, horrible things and have done horrible things and they can tend to haunt 
hassle and harass us. And they can easily overshadow the remembering that God is for us and not against us. How many have ever found this to be true, that you can get a hundred compliments and just have one insult wash out a hundred compliments just like that? Boom! How many have ever experienced that before? It's like, why is that? Or you can remember that, that dirty locker room joke that was told, you know, there on the job with all the guys or the gals around the water cooler. You can remember that vividly, but you can't remember the verses that we were talking about last weekend. What's up with that? It's because of our sinful nature that we struggle with. We struggle with this, this fallenness. And so what we've got to do is that we've got to be willing to face our greatest hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Uh, Psalm 42 through 43. Psalm 42, 11, it actually says, why are you downcast on my soul? That's what the psalmist is saying. He's talking to himself. He's, he's like, he's getting in touch with the, the, this pattern, these negative patterns of thought, saying, why are you de so depressed? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So how do we do that? How do we confront those, those negative uh, patterns of thought? We do it through, the next point on your notes, the Spirit of God working through the Word of God is our greatest weapon against sin, Satan, and society. Society there meaning the values that are contrary to God's values. So we could say the Spirit of God working through the Word of God is our greatest weapon against our negative patterns of thought. We all, we all struggle with that. We live in these fallen bodies. It's hard to, to keep our minds set on the, on the Spirit as opposed to the flesh. And of course, if it's on the flesh, we're going to experience death. If it's on the Spirit, it's going to be life and peace. We're going to find rest. And I love this that he said a couple times, I have a message from God for you. I like that. It's almost we have to kind of talk to ourselves and say, wait a minute, that negative thought is not going to dominate my, my, my mind, my life anymore. I have a message from God for you. You hurt, you habit, you hang up. Take that, boom, with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I'm going to annihilate you. I'm going to get rid of you out of my my thoughts. The Bible's really clear about that. Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4, 12, God's word is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. So just as Ehud assassinated the tormentor of Israel, we must assassinate our tormentors, our negative patterns of thought, our hurts, habits, and hang-ups with the spirit of God working through the word of God. How do we do that? By listening, by listening and arguing with our heart the benefits of God. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Hey, you've been in kind of a bad mood lately, I know. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He goes through the rest of that psalm reciting the benefits of God. So how do we do this? By listening and arguing with our hearts the benefits of God. It is a vigorous, prayerful meditation of the truths of God deep into our hearts. I gave you some examples of that, Philippians 4, 7 through 8. Maybe you've memorized some of those verses. They're great memory verses. He says, don't be anxious about anything. He's saying, Paul, he's in prison. He says to the church in Philippi, hey, stop letting life jerk you around. Don't be anxious about anything. That's what that means, being anxious. You're just kind of jerked around here and there. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request made known to God. 
you know, with thanksgiving, do that. And, and then as a result of that, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes, and then whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So he gives us this filtering system. He says, when you start thinking and these thoughts and your mind starts going off into this dark place, this depressing place, he says, look at it and say, is that, is that uplifting? Is that positive? Whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You're thinking about the wrong stuff. Stick the sword of the Spirit in it. Get rid of it out of your life. That's what he's saying. I like what 2 Corinthians 12, 3 through 5 says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. You know what strongholds are? They're negative patterns of thought. So you've been devastated by what your parents told you growing up, and that would be a stronghold. It becomes, it sets up a place within our lives. Or maybe you, you did something or experienced something growing up, and it just becomes a part of your life. You tend to filter everything through that, and he's just saying, hey, wait a minute. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy these strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take thought every captive to obey God. So there's almost this chasing after these crazy thoughts that are running off. 1,300 thoughts and you're chasing them down and bringing them back, putting a sword in them and, and bringing them into the obedience of Jesus Christ. And this is what you will see is that our greatest liabilities can become our greatest assets in the hands of God to display his greatness and goodness. Our greatest disabilities can become our greatest abilities in the hands of God to display his greatness and goodness. So, so you got this idea of this right hand. It's referenced throughout the Bible, Isaiah 62, 8 through 9. God swears by his right hand. Psalm 16, 11, God has pleasures at his right hand. Psalm 110, 1, verse 1, his chosen one sits at his right hand. Since most people are right-handed, it is a symbol of power and ability you fought with your sword in your right hand, and yet Judges 3.15 literally says that Ehud was unable to use his right hand. He's paralyzed, or he's disabled to some, in some way. What, is that, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with this, that your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurt and misery. What you thought was a liability, God's going to use as an asset in your life, and you're going to touch a lot of people's lives as a result of that. This guy is the most least likely candidate to be the leader. He leads Israel out of their depression and brings a spiritual renewal. It's fascinating. You see this happening in, in Paul. You know, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, three times I pleaded with the Lord. I mean, he has this, this liability. We don't even know what it is. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What are you struggling with? What's your struggle? Is it a marriage? What's, what's your handicap? We all have those handicaps. We all have those disabilities. I want you to know that that's in God's hands can be turned around and be an opportunity to encounter God in ways you've never experienced him before and then be used for not only your good but his glory. It's 
pretty amazing. That's, that's the lesson here. Now, we end the story here in verse 31. It's, it's a crazy way to end. And uh, you're going to want to come back next week because we, you think these guys are tough. There's some gals that we're going to be reading about next week. And these are tough gals. You don't want to mess with them. And uh, that's where we're headed with the story. But look where it ends here in verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines within what? An ox goat? Anybody know what an ox goat is? It's a cattle prod. 600? And a lot of commentators say it probably wasn't, you know, it, was, it wasn't like all at once. It was probably over a period of time, a little bit like American sniper. It'd be more like Israeli sniper here. He's picking these dudes off. With a What? Cattle prod, long stick with a pointed in. What is this all about? Here, let's wrap it up. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the underlying reality under which all of these, these stories point. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's, that's the idea of all these stories. That's 1 Corinthians 1.25. So, so we need to be reminded of the gospel every day. That's the lesson of Othniel. They had forgotten God's spiritual amnesia. We need to be reminded that, that in the gospel, God is greater than any disability we may have. That's the lesson of Ehud. And God is greater than any overwhelming odds that we may have. That's the lesson of Shamgar. Whatever the capacity for human sin and suffering, the gospel has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. That's the last big point here. Whatever the capacity for human sin and suffering, the gospel has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. You guys know what this is? Hmm, Thomas-shaped floor puzzle. Thomas the Train. <laughs> my favorite puzzle. This is kind of my speed, okay? Don't laugh. It's only 24 pieces. I can do this. Takes me a while. But you know what's fascinating about this? There's a lot of pieces in there. I, was, I had my, uh, two of my grandsons over this last week, Nancy and I, and, and Ezra and I were on the floor along with their dad, and we were sitting down putting this puzzle together. And it's, it's hard to believe when you look at a puzzle, even with 24 pieces, that with all these pieces, that there's a picture somewhere in all these pieces. What? I mean, it's crazy. How many have ever done those ones where they have like a billion pieces, huh? Takes you forever. And it's hard to believe that there's actually a picture in all those pieces, but the way that you're able to keep coming back, you've got to keep coming back to the box cover and looking at the picture on the box cover, and you go, oh, that's where, oh, and then you begin to place the piece accordingly. There's a lot of pieces here. There's only 24, but, you know, it's, it kind of represents in some ways our lives. There's a lot of pieces in our lives, and, and I was thinking about this, putting this puzzle together, and I was thinking about that as we look at the jumbled pieces of the nation of Israel through this uh, book of Judges, and then we look at the jumbled pieces of our own lives, it's hard to fathom that there's a picture in all of those pieces, a picture that is, that is beautiful and attractive. But as long as we keep looking at the box cover, and we look at the picture on the box cover, oh, the box cover, God's word. The picture, Jesus, our Savior. We keep looking at him, we begin to see more clearly, this is who you want me to be like, is Jesus. You're shaping and conforming my life more and more into the image of Jesus so that I can put on display the beauty and the glory of him. Bingo. And what's amazing about, about this story as we work through the book of Judges is that, listen, 
as bad as it's gonna get here as we work through this book of Judges through the summer months, God never gives up on them. Why in the world do they give up on God? He never gives up on them. God never casts them off but continues graciously and severely to work for their growth and maturity. Why is that? Why is it that he will never give up on us? Because he doesn't love us because we're lovable. Sorry. He loves us in order to make us lovable. And this is a love that you can never lose. And he will continue his work in your life until he takes you home to be with him for all eternity. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Um, if you don't know him, man, give your life to him. Better yet, live your life for him. You will not regret it. If you're new with us, if you're our guest, I'd love the opportunity to buy you a drink from our cafe and meet you. If you'd like to have prayer for any particular reason, feel free to come forward at the end of the service. We'll have uh, leaders up here that would be more than happy to pray with you. Would you bow your heads with me as we conclude our time in prayer?